OPTA, Oklahoma's home for public television. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Oklahoma News Report podcast. I'm in-depth producer Rory Taylor. Each week, our in-depth segment dives into a timely topic with a handful of knowledgeable panelists. Last Friday, reporter Keaton Ross with the Oklahoma Watch reported that the Department of Corrections in our state, badly understaffed, had sent a new plan to the legislature to bring in more workers. Susan Caddo and her panel of guests join us to discuss the plan, the situation, and the finances. Susan? We have a lot of information to cover, so we're going to dive right in. I'd like to introduce our panel of guests to everyone. First, we have Justin Wolf, who is the Chief Administrator of Government Relations for the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. Bobby Cleveland, who is the Executive Director of the Oklahoma Correctional Professionals Group. And then Keaton Ross, who is a criminal justice reporter for our content partners at Oklahoma Watch. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Hey, thanks for having Thank you. Justin, we're going to start with you. Um, DOC has issued a new proposal to gain more staff members. What is that proposal and why do you need it? So the Department of Corrections biggest challenge right now is absolutely staffing, specifically among our correctional officer positions. So as part of our efforts to address that, we've asked the legislature to carry legislation to allow us to hire 18 and 19 year olds. Currently state statute only allows us to employ 20 year olds or older in the correctional officer positions. And that just provides an additional limitation on our hiring abilities. And especially now when hiring is so difficult for everybody, you know, corrections isn't excluded from that. And we've traditionally always had hiring challenges. And so our hope is that if we're able to hire appropriate and qualified 18 and 19 year olds, that'll help assist our efforts in addressing the staffing challenge. Up to this point, what have been the prerequisites for this job and what other prerequisites will you keep in place as you look to, to gain, um, uh, broaden the pool of candidates for work? So all the prerequisites are staying. You know, we still require GED. We still require all of our correctional officers to go through training once they're hired on and to go through the academy. But what we're trying to do specifically here is just adjust that initial starting age down to 18 or 19. Uh, the surrounding states, only Colorado has an older hiring age than us, and four of the surrounding states already hire 18 and 19 year olds. So this is an appropriate step. And frankly, it's the latest in a long line of efforts that we're putting forward to assist our current correctional officers in providing them additional coworkers. So we've done a number of things, including starting up uh, employee focus groups to get feedback from our recent hires and our new employees on the benefits of this job and what they look forward to and what they look toward from our agency and what we provide them. Uh, we've recently started a sign-on incentive for new employees who sign on into those positions as well as a pay differential for any of our understaffed facilities across the state to help you know, compensate those employees that we currently have who are feeling the actual pinch of those staffing challenges you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So the, those are the efforts that we're doing already. Bobby, what, what is your reaction to this? Oklahoma Correctional Professionals, what do you feel about this? Well, first of all, I'll answer the last question. The $1.50 uh, increase they were supposed to get has not been given to all the, all the facilities. Uh, at all, that's, that's a mislead. And uh, second of all, on the 18 and 19 year olds, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an ideal, but I would like to know a little more about it. What positions are these guys gonna do? Because when you say they're not gonna be involved in the, with the inmates, that's only leaves one position, and that's the position of running the x-ray machines or the check-in machine when you go to a prison. That only takes two people and one people normally. So where are you gonna put these 18 and 19 year olds? 
Justin, I'll let you answer that. Yeah, I'd love to speak to that. So uh, it's not a post where they would not be in contact with inmates at our prison facilities, correctional officers by the nature of their positions do, but they wouldn't be in sensitive posts. So we'd be creating a new job classification as part of this uh, hiring initiative that we're asking for to, so that we'd be putting these 18 and 19 year olds in a new job classification where they wouldn't be placed in sensitive posts, but they would be available to assist our current correctional officer staffing. So they wouldn't be at weapon posts, they wouldn't be in restrictive housing posts, things like that, but they would still be available to begin their career in corrections at the age of 18 and to start up you know, their lives in the corrections at that age. We have a wonderful career progression that's available to our staff. Many of our wardens started off as introductory correctional officers, but when we have that age limit at 20 years old, what we're really telling persons interested in a career in corrections is that they need to go and get two years of experience somewhere else and then give up that longevity and that experience and then come to corrections. And what we really wanna do here at the Department of Corrections is provide that pathway to a lifelong career in corrections so that we can continue to nurture the staff that we're hiring and support the staff that we already have. Keaton, looking at this from the outside, um, what do you see as the pros and cons of this move? Yeah, sure. So, you know, over the course of my research, um, you know, notice this is, you know, somewhat becoming a trend in corrections. Um, we've seen states, you know, Justin mentioned, uh, you know, nearby states like Texas and Kansas and New Mexico, and then um, also places like Arizona and Florida have lowered their uh, minimum hiring age over the past couple of years. Um, and of course, you know, the that's aimed towards uh, getting new staff, trying to keep them um, you know, prior to the pandemic, their corrections, you know, was a, was a tough industry to keep people and hire people on. And that's um, kind of been exacerbated as we've seen, you know, in other industries, staffing shortages get worse. Um, that's been true in corrections as well. Um, I, you know, wasn't able to identify any, you know, solid research or trends, you know, notable examples of, you know, if you lower your minimum hiring age, you're going to put a significant amount of people at risk. Um, but, you know, on a on a similar note, uh, still a relatively new trend um, in a lot of places to be lowering the minimum hiring age and in hopes of getting more workers. Bobby, uh, has corrections been a lifelong career for you? No, ma'am, I've, I've been involved with corrections probably about 15 years, Okay. but uh, I live close to the prisons. And so I know a lot of officers and I kind of grew up with guys that, are, that work at the prison. But let's let's talk about something here. Okay. The nuts and the bolts of this is that the House gave and the Senate gave DLC $8 million to be used to hire new employees with a, they gave a $2,500 bonus and a $1.50 bonus stipend for all correction officers. And they haven't done this. They haven't fulfilled their obligation to do this. They're not giving them $1.50 to all the officers as it's supposed to be in plan. Uh, Representative Humphrey and I met with the, uh, some leadership yesterday, and they are, are confused as to why DOC has made this so confusing. Uh, we are all, they, they put it at 80% staff, and then they have these phony numbers that they come up with on pins, and it makes it look like they got more people than they have. When you, hold on, Bobby, when you say on pins, what do you mean? Pins is where they move people around. It's what they call pins. They move people around, and they say that it makes it look like they have more people than what they have, and there's people there that, that are 80%, not 80% staff that's not getting the $1.50 raise. Stifen, let me change that to stifen. But they have not fulfilled their obligation. Had they filled that, 
In the last three months, we've lost over 100 officers, not counting nurses, not counting kitchen help. We're losing people right and left. It's going backwards. It's not going forward. Justin, do you have a response to that? I'd love to speak to that, and I really appreciate Representative Cleveland bringing up these issues because, uh, you know, recruitment is a piece of this puzzle, but so is retention of our current staff. And that's why these initiatives are not merely aimed at getting people in the door, but also maintaining the wonderful correctional officers that we have that work hard every day. And as I mentioned earlier, they're the ones who really feel the pinch of low staffing numbers you know, on a day-to-day -day basis at all of our facilities. Part of what we've also done is begun a staffing analysis that's intensive and in going through all of our facilities. And that's being done because previous administrations have told people that we need more people, that we need more correctional officers, that we have staffing issues, but we haven't had an objective measurement behind those claims in order to really put boots on the ground and you know, pencil to paper numbers to show what we need where. To say we're understaffed is true, but that isn't nearly this, as specific as we need to get when we look at different facilities with different security level structures, different physical structures. And so that staffing analysis, which we intend to have done early next year, early 2022, will really illuminate specifically the staffing needs at each of our facilities. And that's being done according to national standards from the ACA. And that will allow us to objectively state the number of officers we need, not just at any individual facility, but at specific posts and at specific classifications. Uh, again, when we talk about staffing, we're talking about critical posts. And that's one of those numbers or metrics that we use to ensure that we're not just hiring staff, but we're hiring staff where we need them to assist those correctional officers that we have on the ground. So, Keaton, when we look at the overall situation for Oklahoma DOC, we're, we're pay, uh, the, the uh, concerns that have brought up thus far, have you looked into any of that? What does our pay look like compared to other states in our region? Do you have any answers for those? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I could speak to every every single state that borders Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma Department of Corrections starts off at at fifteen seventy four an hour, um, and then after six months, there's an incremental raise, and then uh, after the, a year, there's an incremental raise of of about a dollar every six months. Um, if you know, I guess one example might be Texas. You know compete with Texas as far as keeping uh, teachers and, and sorts of other industries. Um, they're starting off around um, $18 an hour. Um, so certainly regionally, um, not quite at the level of, of a Texas, for example. Um, and of course, there was a pay raise a few years ago that the, the legislature approved to get it up to $15.74 an hour. But um, since then, we've seen uh, inflation go up. Uh, you know, people are feeling the pinch, getting groceries and uh, filling up their gas tanks and all of that. Um, so, you know, obviously the 1574 an hour um, maybe isn't as competitive as it was a few years ago. And we're seeing more um, retailers and restaurants and uh, industries like that competing with uh, $15, $16 an hour. You know, Justin, that's a, that's a good point. Would, would the DOC like to see higher salaries? Will it advocate for higher, higher salaries with the legislature? I appreciate that. I was going to say that the, the Department of Corrections has been advocating for increased salaries for staff and asking the legislature for those increases year after year recently. And we've had good work with the legislature in getting some of those initiatives passed. Another thing we've done recently is stood up a recruitment and retention unit to really invest in our current staff and getting them the help that they need. And that's just another way that we're really showing our devotion to our staff and to address this challenge. So Bobby, kind of explain to folks what is entailed in being a corrections officer? What kind of risk, 
what kind of um, intensity on the job is there? It, it, it's not an easy job, I'm guessing. Well, let me, let me address this first. You know, you can put a lipstick on a pig. You still got a pig. The, the money that we gave, the representative, the House and the Senate gave to DOC, the $8 million was for retention of our current correctional officers, which we have to, I can't tell you how much I admire our correctional officers, what they go through on a daily basis, but we're not using that money to give the money to the officers as, as okay. it has been stated. I wanna make that very clear. Let me stop you right there. Justin, what is happening with that money specifically? So that was $8 million and it was specifically authorized by the legislature to be used to increase the correctional officer to inmate ratio statewide. And that is what that money is going toward. The sign-on bonus, the $2,500 sign-on bonus and the pay differential for facilities that are understaffed are both being implemented now. Frankly, these programs that we've initiated are all too young to have data back as to their effectiveness. Um, but Mr. Cleveland is correct in that our numbers are currently trending down, and that's something that we're working toward on a daily basis to address, uh, both to get the new staff through the door and to protect our current staff and give them the support that they need. So when you say the numbers are going down, the, the amount of staff we have is going down? Yes, specifically our correctional officer numbers are going down uh, as we're trying to recruit uh, during this time where, frankly, recruitment is an issue for everybody. But those pay increases aren't in place yet? They are being put in place now. So the, the differential was started into September. And so we are seeing those processes okay. in place and that's what we're doing currently. Bobby, does let that me, answer let me address something. If I, if I may address something. This took place last year. I mean, last session, the $8 million. We're losing, we, we're losing people every day. We have lost over a hundred people at DLC correction officers in the last three months, over 100 officers. We had only four officers show up to one of our largest prisons yesterday. We have a knifing at North Fork. It's a very serious situation happening right now. What, Keaton, is this something new that you're hearing from Bobby right now? Um, no, I mean, that's, I started at this job probably 18 months ago, and that's been um, a, a constant from, from Bobby and, um, a few corrections officers that have reached out to me um, is just that you know our our staff the staffing at a, at a lot of facilities is is low and there's you know concern of you know incidents or um, um, things popping up because there you know there just aren't that many officers on the ground. So Justin, let me ask you: as as DOC officials gather around the table and talk about these these issues that are being raised right now. I'm sure it's not that you just don't want to fix the issues. Are there any obstacles that you, besides lowering the age, that you are facing? You know, the recruitment retention challenges are consistent. Everyone's dealing with that right now. And like I said earlier, we're not exempt from that. And so, you know, we, one of the challenges that we see is that we aren't able to start people in a career of corrections when they become adults. You know, they're eligible to serve their country, they're eligible to vote, they're eligible to work as detention officers in certain county jails, but we don't allow them to start their careers here. You know, we're implementing all of these, the recruitment retention division, the sign-on bonuses, the pay incentives. You know, we're, we're starting these processes in order to address this problem. And the staffing analysis, when that's complete, we'll be able to talk about this with objective numbers and metrics so that we can see exactly and measure exactly the changes that we need to make. But this is something that we're taking very seriously and it is the most significant challenge to corrections right now. 
Uh, Bobby, is there anywhere that folks can go to find more information about the situation in our uh, state prisons? They can go to DOC's website. They have a lot of good information on there. DOC has some great, great, great benefits. DOC is, is a good place to work if they would make it work. It's not working now. There's not one prison out there that is 80% staff, not one. Gentlemen, we are at time. This was a robust discussion and I, I hope it prompts more investigation on everyone's part. Keaton, I know you're on it and, and we will be as well. I'd like to thank all of you for your time uh, with us to educate the viewers of Oklahoma. Thank you. <laughs> Support independent journalism in Oklahoma. Donate at OETA.tv slash podcast. That's OETA.tv slash podcast. From OETA, Oklahoma's home for public television. Mm -hmm.